Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, it does me great pleasure to introduce my friend, someone who I've known for quite some time, and um, so that you can have the benefit of understanding her credentials and her experience and how she should up to this work into this space. And I am talking about none other than Dr. Katrina Hutchins. Katrina Hutchins, affectionately known as Dr. K, is the founder and CEO of Resource Solutions LLC, an organizational excellence consulting company. As a certified executive coach, consultant, inspirational speaker, author, professor, and philanthropist, Dr. K has gained decades of experience in corporate, governmental, higher education, philanthropic, nonprofit, and faith-based sectors. As a scholar, Dr. K's research is focused on the power of women's voices. As such, her fourth book, The Voice Positioning System, Seven Ways to Harness Your Power and Master Your Influence, has been the catalyst for voice transformation for thousands of readers and voice workshop sessions participants. Dr. K earned a Bachelor of Arts degree from Columbia College and a master's degree in social work from the University of South Carolina. Go Gamecocks. She earned her doctoral degree in education with the concentration in organizational leadership from Northeastern University. So you know what to do, podcast community, for those of you who've been with us for quite some time. At this point, this is when we pull out some of our accolades, some words of affirmation. We place them into the chat. We find those reactions in Zoom or those emojis, and we let our guest co-hosts know how much we appreciate her being here with us today and I am going to add her to the spotlight so that you all can see her beautiful face and I am so excited my dear friend now we have not connected in quite some time. So I'm going to have to really work hard to kind of contain my excitement today because I miss our sister girl talks. I miss, you know, the frequency in which we were able to previously just connect with each other. So this is really a treat for me, but I'm not gonna let you off the hook, Dr. K. One of the things that I ask of every single co-host, no matter who they are, longtime friends or not, is to share with us something that we would not know about you from reading your bio or from looking and reading your LinkedIn profile. So find some stuff to share and welcome my friend. <laughs> Thank you so much. First of all, let me say how excited I am. I will share something about me, but I've got to honor this moment being in this space with you, Dr. Nika. It has been such a long time and to reconnect here, um, as a part of this amazing and powerful work you're doing. I just admire you and appreciate you so greatly for your contribution to the field and to the world. Um, and just watching you soar has been a tremendous blessing for me. So thank you for the invitation to join you here. Um, I have got to also make a statement about my picture and my now, right? <laughs> so as you, as you were reading my uh, bio and I was kind of looking at that graphic, I thought, well, there's something that's very different. <laughs> that's true, that's true. And the first thing I said was, wait a minute, can you turn to the side of me to see the yes. profile? Is it cut or yes. is it just pulled back? And you're like, no, it is cut. I love it. It looks so great on you. I love Thank it. You. And I think it's so connected to our conversation today, Dr. Nika because you know black women and hair that's a thing and so making this decision to cut my hair was huge because it wasn't just kind of a choice for vanity it was a choice as a as a new beginning it was very symbolic for me um, and I'll share something that did not show up in my bio at the end of my bio it used to say that um, she, Dr. K is a wife, uh, you know, all of those things. I am still that, but I wanna be very transparent in this space because I believe I can. Um, I'm feeling up um, almost six months into having lost my husband mm -hmm. um, in December mm -hmm. of last year, December 5th of last year. And so I am creating, mm -hmm creating new ways of being. Yeah, so yeah. 
this new hairdo is a part of that creation, right? And so it was so symbolic of a new beginning for me. And so I just want to share that. And I'll, I'll use that as my thing that did not show up um, yeah. in the bio and to, and to share this with this community. I think sometimes grief and loss are things that we don't often talk about. And I want to certainly put that on the table, Dr. Nika, I've actually been thinking about how much we do not have that conversation in leadership spaces, in organizational spaces, right? We just kind of give people three days and expect them to come back and be okay, right? Yes. um, Just bringing that process um, forward and even as a consideration uh, for others who may be around us, who may be, mm. and we're not yeah. acknowledging that process for them. So, yeah, I just wanted to put that on our table today. I'm so glad you did, Dr. K. So glad you did. And, and you are, so first and foremost, once again, my condolences to you. And, um, you know, you mentioned that you're sharing because it's one of those things that people would not know. And I think that also what's even more remarkable about that statement is even for those who part, who are part of maybe you're following and they are paying attention to your commentary, over the past six months, you have continued to show up as Dr. K very consistently. And I think there's something to be said for that, especially as it um, allows us to go further into the way in which people grieve and how that process can look vastly different. And, um, and and my heart goes out to you and I appreciate your boldness and your vulnerability and wanting to bring that to today's conversation because you're right. I don't think that we talk about it enough. Yes. And I tend to think that, you know, grieving, it shows up in many different regards, not just the loss of life. And I realize that the loss of life is probably one of the hardest ways that people grieve. But when I also think about the pandemic and I think about, you know, May, we just came out of Mental Health Awareness Month and how people are just coming into the revelation of their new normal is now, it's different because maybe they have been diagnosed with some type of mental illness. I mean, there's just so much that I feel like people grieve in life. You know, the economy, a lot of people have lost jobs and they're grieving that. And they're grieving maybe the future that they felt like they had envisioned and thinking maybe that's not going to come to fruition. And so I just want us to hold space for all types of grief right now. And you have given us that gift to do so by naming um, what your experience has been and what you've been navigating over the past six months. And so I want to thank you for that, because I do agree that um, many of us have no idea what others could be grieving and how it's impacting them. And so thank you so much for, for that space and that time, Dr. K. Thank you. Yeah. And the haircut is beautiful once again. <laughs> so, so many people may not know, but you are presently in Florida. And how long have you been in Florida, Dr. K? Since 2018. Since 20, 2018. Yes. August of 2018. And I would imagine that many people hearing that, some curiosities are surfacing for them, right? We know that there are a number of states that are under attack in a way that has maybe not quite yet reached that level of intensity in other states. And many of us are holding our breaths thinking we don't want this to gain speed, but in many ways we are we are feeling like um, it has the potential to if we aren't really careful. And so being someone that is positioned physically in the state of Florida, which is really challenged in a number of ways, um, can you share with us just a little bit about how what you're hearing in terms of other practitioners how you um, very specifically are are navigating maybe some of those complexities by being someone in this space and whatever else that you feel like would be useful for this community to know. Absolutely. Thank you for that question. And, and, you know, interestingly enough, I believe it's so tied in with grief. So what I'm hearing is loss. I'm hearing about loss. I'm learning about practitioners who are being shifted um, yeah. out of positions or, or maybe not even having their positions anymore. Um, I am grateful that I get to do this work as a consultant, but there are some people in organizations who are literally losing their jobs um, as a result of some of what we are seeing and experiencing. And there is great loss. There is great sadness um, connected to 
some of what we're witnessing. One of the things that I think is critically important for us to remember is as we kind of have eyes on Florida, yeah. this could very well become um, something that is not just specific to Florida, right? Um, but that impacts us across the country. And we already see sprinklings of that happening, yes. right? But there is a trajectory toward this kind of thing. I was reading an article yesterday um, related to a major institution that I have just held in high regard um, who will be removing from their curriculum DEI uh, courses um, and just, just this major shift. So I think it's so important, Dr. Nika, as, as we've talked about, and you know my work is so deeply invested in voice, that we, we think critically about how we position our voices um, right. in these spaces. This voice positioning piece is so important because it's that mindful, strategic, critical way of understanding the best use of our voices and where our power may be, right? Yeah. And so yeah. it's not just about jumping on a bandwagon and just kind of, you know, uh, beating our fist on the table. It is thinking about where might my voice be most powerful? Um, um, not in Florida, absolutely, but across the country. And just going into this with our eyes wide open and great mm -hmm. sensitivity to what is happening, not just being a complainer. Yeah. But also mm -hmm. thinking strategically about where is my power? Absolutely. And our power, we know, and you're going to amplify this today, is often in our voice. And so I, I so I so appreciate that we're going to be able to spend some time talking about that. Um, before I talk about um, how you found your way into centering a lot of your work around helping women to realize their power and their voice, I want to stay on this topic of higher learning institutions because you gave the example of you're seeing some um, learning institutions that are pulling away from their curriculum topics that relate to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And again, that's something that's also gaining speed across many different universities. Um, what's also in the news right now is that soon the Supreme Court is going to be um, ruling on whether or not higher learning institutions can continue to consider race base as part of the criteria for um, admissions to higher learning institutions. And so what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on that, Dr. K? I, again, I think it's, it, it definitely is a voice opportunity. I won't even say mm -hmm. a voice issue. It's a voice yep. opportunity. Right. And I think collectively, certainly individually, but collectively, we have to start thinking about how to amplify our voices together, right? So long gone are those days of the, the Lone Ranger, just that one voice crying in the wilderness, but looking for opportunities to collaborate um, and to really start to um, amplify together as collectives. There's something about the power of collective voice. And so within institutions, having people move beyond their fear, sometimes that is the thing that's gripping them because they're so consumed by what I call the power of they. If I speak mm -hmm. up, what will they say? What will they do? What will, you know, how will they treat me? You know, um, and so moving beyond the fear and being able to ask the question, what about cause and effect? What yeah. if I don't, right? Yes. And seeing this as a responsibility, an obligation, and an opportunity. If not me, then who? And so yeah. really seeing it, taking it as um, ownership. And not just for today, but for the next generation coming behind mm -hmm. us, right? It becomes a part of legacy conversations mm -hmm. and, and thinking about how do we shift so that this does not, we don't fail history at this right. point, right? Because we right. sit in silence. Um, yeah. There's a quote that I love by Arondity Roy. And she says, there is no such thing as the voiceless only mm -hmm. the deliberately silenced or preferably unheard. Mm 
And so often in these instances, there are people who are deliberately silenced and preferably unheard. However, that cannot be our stopping point, right? And so thinking about and always asking ourselves the question, I circle right back to where is my power? Where is my power where a person is concerned, where people are concerned, where places are concerned, and then situate myself in the truth I know about my power. I love that. I love that. That is that is so rich. And you're right. Silence is a message as well. Sometimes people don't see it as that, but it is a message. I think sometimes people will feel if I stay on the sidelines and I and I be quiet and silent, then maybe I can remain in a neutral place, right? And I think that there are certain things that we have to be willing to take a firm position on and to use our voice around. So I, I love that you're amplifying that. I also love the reframe of um you know, what if I don't do it? You know, because I think oftentimes when we're making decisions, we're contemplating things that we feel like we should do, right? Versus what if I don't do this? What are the implications if I don't do it? And I think that's an important question that we need to be willing to um, to ask ourselves, especially when it relates to matters where our voice can really be leveraged as power to your point. That's right. And, so it's wanna... about, it, and it's also about, you know, when we consider Dr. Nika cause and effect, we yeah. also have to move beyond just our heads, right? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. we're trying to operate just from what we think, but I often encourage us to have a head heart engagement. Love that have a head yeah. heart engagement and then yeah. we're able to ask do I have the heart to act not just yeah. what do I think about acting do I have the heart to act do I have the heart mm-hmm. to use my power for good right do right. I have the heart to step into brave spaces you know I used to say mm-hmm. step into safe spaces and have conversations no do I have the heart to step into and create brave spaces mm-hmm. what's the difference in safe spaces we can hide in brave spaces mm-hmm. we have to step in with courage and so being able to create and 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 acting from not just our heads but our hearts right because our hearts have um have that ability to really cause us to be sensitive right to to um, people, places, and things around us. You, we, we haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't even gotten to the first question yet, you know, based upon some of the predetermined questions that we thought would make for good discussion because we're just kind of being fluid right now, but that's okay because this is so rich. Um, and I'm taking copious notes because I want to make sure that I, whenever I show up to these conversations, I'm also learning just like this community. And so Dr. K, I dare not walk away from this hour without picking up some of the great nuggets that you're putting down. But, you know, in safe spaces, people can hide. In brave spaces, people have to show forth that level of courage. That was so strong. I love that. And then, of course, we have to lead not um, just with our head, but with our head and our heart. I love that. And I think that when we do so, there's greater propensity for us to center humanity, which is really the core of what we are attempting to do in this world. You know, it is about all people, all people who are deserving of having full opportunity for success, be treated with dignity and respect. And so, um, so many great things that you're bringing to the conversation. I want to share this with you because I don't want to forget it, but I quote you all the time, Dr. K, and you probably don't even ever um, remember this, but I remember the first time that I heard you spoke, you said something and it just so resonated with me. And now I find it appropriate to every chance I get to quote you. And that is, you said, nothing about me without me. Yes. Nothing about me without me. And I want this community to understand um, the, the context behind that statement that I continue to quote you on. So this was this was not a planned question, but it popped <laughs> into my head and I thought I have to I have to make sure that she can share this, but nothing about me without me. So tell us what that means to you. That literally means plan nothing. Do not make any decisions, policies, uh, ways of being about me without my voice, right? Without inviting me. So when oftentimes when policies are made, decisions are being made, 
they're they're being made around tables, Dr. Nika, where voices are not present. And, and those decisions are being made about people and their voices are not even present. So nothing about me without me is that um, amplification of bring me to your tables. Don't plan anything about me, about my community, um, about uh, any aspect of, of who I am and, and what I'm connected to if you are not willing to bring my voice to inform those decisions, to inform those policies. I think any decision, any policy impacting other people and those people have not been a part of those conversations is a flawed policy and a flawed decision. And it does not represent humanity. I think mm -hmm. it's inhumane to plan mm -hmm. something for someone um, that will impact their lives in deep ways and you mm -hmm. never bother to ask. And so yes. that, that piece is what um, really emerges out of nothing about me without me. Absolutely. I love it. I'm with, I'm with you, Ms. Shirley Scott. She has the clap hands going on into the chat and others are kind of resonating with, with what you're sharing as well. Okay, so this brings us to a question where you get to now unpack for us this whole vision that you had around helping women to understand how to center the power of their voice. And so when did you find your voice? Dr. K, and why is it important, particularly for women that you often will share this message with, to find their voice as well? Uh, so I really have to back us up to when my first recollection of, of losing my voice. Mm, okay. uh, and it was just kind of a, a story that happened when I was in second grade. You know, I grew up in um, in the country, a good country girl grew up in South Carolina in the country. Um, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and, um, and this was in the 60s. And so um, when I when I was in, had the opportunity to, to go to first grade, I had um, the opportunity to go to Waverly Elementary, which was an all black elementary school right in the heart of the city, right in the heart of Columbia. South Carolina. And I was able to do that because my mom worked at Benedict College, which is um, an HBCU mm -hmm. um, right in the heart of the city. And she worked in the registrar's office. So I was able to ride in with her, her commute, uh, probably about 35 minutes from where we live. So this was the big time, right? This was the big city. <laughs> and so I thought I was the stuff, of course, going to first grade in the city, but loved Waverly Elementary, my first grade um, teacher, my classmates loved learning and was looking forward to coming back for second grade. And while we were out for that summer, my parents received a letter in the mail that said I wasn't going to be able to go back to Waverly, that they were rezoning in my area and mm -hmm. I was now going to be bused into a new school. And so summer ended the first day of second grade in this new school. My new second grade teacher made it very clear that she was not happy with some of us who had now shown up in her classroom. Um, but in my mind, I thought, it's okay. I know how to do school. I'm going to be fine. So on um, about the third day of that first week, she said, on Friday, you can bring items for show and tell. And I thought, that's it. I'm going to rock show and tell. <laughs> I'll show her what I'm working with, right? And so... Um, so it was my, my mom's custom now to drop me off at grandma's. Grandma would put me on the bus while she and my dad went on their commute. So here is Friday morning. Um, I'm at grandma's and realized that I did not have anything for show and tell. So I have a meltdown in grandma's kitchen. And so she said, child, what is wrong with you? And I told her that I didn't have anything for show and tell. So she runs and, and picks up something, puts it in her hand, runs me down to the bus. I get on the bus, open my hand. Grandma has put a beautiful marble in it, a big marble. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, it sure is pretty. Don't know what I'm going to say about it, but it's pretty. 
get to my second grade class, sit in my seat, put my marble in my cubby to wait for show and tell. So finally, at the end of the day, the teacher said, you can take out your, your items for show and tell. I got ready to reach for my marble and there was a little white boy sitting next to me and he reached over and grabbed it. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at him and I said, that's my marble, you can't have my marble. And so I raised my hand to get her attention and she looked at me and turned away. And I raised my hand again to get her attention. She looked at me and rolled her eyes and turned away. And so this time I said, please, please. She came over to where we were sitting and she said to me, what is it? I said, he just took my marble. And she looked at him and she said, did you take her marble? And he looked at me and looked back at her. And in front of the entire class, he said, I didn't take that nigger's marble. And I sat that day, Dr. Nika, and watched that little boy do show and tell with the marble grandma gave me. And in that moment, in that space, in that time, I went from being that happy-go-lucky little girl to now someone who was very afraid in her world, someone who felt unsafe, but most of all, a little girl who had just lost her voice. And so that was my first recollection of feeling like I had voice snatched out of me. Mm-hmm. And I started to I started to make that connection as an adult because I kept feeling this voice dysfunction in my life as an adult. And when I started to do this work, I was able to trace that voice dysfunction all the way back to that first instance when I lost my voice. And so this work became a work of passion for me because what happened um, as I went through my teenage years, young adulthood into my adult life, I did not recognize the level of um, voice dysfunction that I was carrying. And I, and, and I want to say this, and, and I, I really started to recognize it when I was actually in church. Let me say mm. that, because I want to mm. be very honest. Mm. You know, I, I grew up in the church. I, you know, mm. just kind of grew up learning how to flash this blessed and highly favored smile Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there was so much dysfunction primarily related to my voice yeah. on the inside though and that dysfunction governed my decisions governed my choices governed my inability to have no boundaries governed my um uh, or govern you know, govern my inability to say no all of these things that I needed voice for mm-hmm. I did not have And so when I fast forward to my doctoral studies, I literally did my um, dissertation on women who are in faith-based organizations where organizational silence is present. Mm. I learned so much from the study. And as I've been able to do this work now for several years, I have learned the complexities of women in spaces where their voices are minimized, undervalued, unseen, unheard. And and let me clarify voice. Only 7% of our voice shows up in words. The other 93% is our presence. You know, how we come in a room, what the room feels like when we leave it. It's our attitude, our demeanor, our disposition. Everything that we embody represents our voice. And I started to recognize how fragmented we are, you know, fragmented and misaligned from our words versus our actions, seeing those two things as separate when in actuality they are supposed to be integrated. Our words should be matching our 93%, right? I often say that our audio should match our video. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Of integration. And so that's my long response to why I do this work, why I'm so passionate, um, how I came to do this work and uh, the value, the tremendous value that I am seeing when, when women really start to understand this intrinsic voice power that we all embody. I um so Dr. K, I'm sorry that that was your experience. That's a really jarring story. And I remember um hearing parts of that story before as, as this really has become a part of your platform and how you um talk about, you know, the the power of voice being a part of your 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 messaging. And it is jarring every single time. Um, as I was just listening to your story, I began to just kind of jot down some of the infractions that, and I, I mean, I had to stop writing because I thought I could go on and on and on, but the name calling, the, the, the stilling of, of, you know, your, your, your personal items. So the entitlement, um, you know, being ignored and treated as invisible. I mean, so much oppression is in this story. It's ridiculous. Um, the, the disrespective person, you know, and add fuel to the fire. Not only are you going to take my, my marble, but you're going to get credit for it, although as though it's yours. And that's also something that we see play out day in and day out today in so many different spaces, including the workplace. And so I... I know that many in this community um, were really hanging on to your every word and, and your story definitely um, resonates with many people. But um, I I just want to thank you for, for your willingness to share that story because it can't be easy. Um, I'm curious, Dr. K, do you think that women, especially Black women in particular, do they understand the level of, um, of influence that they have in corporate spaces? Um, and just the country overall, because I find that to be one of the biggest challenges is that sometimes women of color, we don't know our own worth, which means it's hard for us to stand in our worth and use our voice, but such a high level of confidence. So how do you help those women bridge that gap? And do you see that that is part of women of color's experience as well? Absolutely, I do, is, is exactly what you just said, is oftentimes not knowing our own worth, not knowing our value. And I'll go back to the story because here, here's a powerful part of that, Dr. Nika, is not only did I have my marble store uh, stolen, right? But I had to sit and watch somebody else do something with what belonged to me. And I think, you know, even culturally, generationally, Oftentimes we've been taught to stay on the sidelines. And even if we have contributed, there are those instances where we have had to sit and watch someone else do something with our contribution, right? Whether it was our idea, we had to watch someone else get credit for it. Whether mm -hmm. it was um, something that that you know we contributed in a powerful way, we've yeah. had we have had to sit and watch. And and in that process, we enable in order to survive it. Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes we have turned down our own volume or we have minimized, right? In order to just survive it. And in that survival mode, we started to normalize it. And what we did not recognize is how much normalizing, how much minimizing was literally making our soul sick. And so, so many of the women I have the opportunity to coach along with their voice dysfunction, Dr. Nika, is what I have been really focused in on is soul fatigue. Some women, they don't know their value, but then there's the other piece where they do and they're just tired, right? <laughs> they're tired of fighting. They're tired yeah. of being the voice. You know, they're tired of being the strong one. They're tired of being the one that is always looked to when these kinds of conversations yeah. need to happen. They don't want to, to be the one that is 
the cheerleader for, right. it, for all things black, right? And so there is just this sense of feeling tired. So I, I meet women kind of on two extremes. Sometimes they don't know, but other times they do and they're tired. And so the coaching piece kind of emerges organically based upon where I find them. Yeah, that is that is so real. And I would imagine that for the women that you that have the privilege of working with you, that perhaps they go through cycles and ebbs and flows. It could be very much influenced by what's happening in their lives at that moment that causes them to feel like I do have the emotional capacity to kind of you know suppress the fatigue and keep fighting and to keep trying to advocate for myself. And then other times it's like I I, I have nothing to give in this moment. And so what I what I want this audience to be able to walk away with is that we know the reality of it. We know the sad reality of of what many experience who feel like they are voiceless. What I want, though, for this community to walk away with is that hope, hope in that there are strategies and tactics and things to do to help overcome that if someone were to find themselves feeling like they're voiceless. And so in your fourth book, which I gave the, the title of um, The Voice Positioning System, Seven Ways to Harness Your Power and Master Your Influence, I know that it's helped thousands of people. Can you share with us maybe just some of the top strategies or takeaways that would be of use to this community if they are looking to help encourage a colleague or a friend or a family member who has grown voiceless? Absolutely. So, you know, there's so much embedded um, in the book because it's so complex, um, so many complexities related to voice positioning. First and foremost, I created a framework that moved us from just simply using our voices. You know, we can all use our voices. It's a human function, right? Yeah. Voice positioning is a deeper dive. It's a deeper mm. consideration. Voice positioning re requires the critical thought. It requires yeah. mindfulness. It requires um, strategies to be able to do that. And so one of the biggest pieces is first and foremost, self-reflection, introspection about the condition of our voices, right? At the beginning of the book, you know, I ask questions around um, where might your voice be compromised? And I yeah. even give some examples of, you know, your voice is compromised when? And so mm -hmm. it's almost a self-assessment because we can exist in silence and um, just kind of muted voice or low volume voice and um, voice fragmentation. We can exist there for so long we start to become desensitized to the weight right. of being there, right? And yeah. so at the very beginning, having these aha moments, I think the voice identity piece is so critically important, getting to know your voice. I remember one of my uh, participants in the study, Dr. Nika, had such a profound aha moment when she recognized for all of my life, I didn't even know my own sound. I didn't even know the sound of my own voice. Mm -hmm. She lived so externally um, through other people's voices and the shoulds and the coulds from other people that she never ventured in to even understand the beauty of the sound of her own voice. And so the first piece is voice identity. So even before we can position our voices, yeah. I have enough coffee, even <laughs> before we can position our voices, it is even knowing my voice, acknowledging mm -hmm. its power, right? Getting mm -hmm. to know what I bring um, in my voice as a part of my voice my voice visibility, how I'm showing up, um, what that really means. And so that is the first part. And then from there, we start to think about um, how to position. And what that means is in considering various scenarios in our lives where we recognize that I am undervalued here, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm not being seen like I need to be seen here. 
I'm not being heard like I need to be heard here. And so bringing voice to the sense of being unseen, unheard, and undervalued, right? Sometimes we're expecting people to change that for us when in actuality, it's our own voice that brings the change. It's true. And, and so here's some aha moments that can emerge mm. out of that as well. And sometimes in that process, we will recognize that what we've been waiting for other people to do for us the key to the change was always our own voice. Yeah. And so once we bring voice to those situations, we'll start to recognize, well, first of all, I didn't need their approval. <laughs> I waited all this time for something I never needed um, at right. all, right? I didn't need their endorsement, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't need their um, yes. And so it starts to help us make healthier decisions, healthy choices. Um, voice positioning starts to help us to, to manage our no and our yes. You know, yeah. I often say to so many women I work with who are just so challenged with N-O, it just <laughs> so challenged. Right. Uh, uh, not being able to say no, but I, I lead them on this path to understanding N-O really means not obligated. And that is your mm -hmm. gauge, right? That is your gauge. Mm -hmm. Asking the question, am I obligated? And so again, long answer, I could stay in this voice positioning piece for an entire weekend. But really, um, first of all, is the voice identity piece. And then um, being able to move into the deep positioning that goes along with that. I love that. And we're going to undoubtedly run out of time today, but I do want to make sure this community knows that we have placed a link to your book into the chat, one of your many books, but the one that we're talking about today regarding the voice into the chat. I do hope that you all will get that. Um, so, and I'm going to shift. I will allow our audience, if you have some questions or curiosities that are coming up, we will allow at least a few moments for maybe one to two people to present questions. But what I want to do while maybe folks are thinking about the questions they would like to present, and by the way, you can let me know that you're willing to ask a question by using the raise hand feature if you're part of this Zoom community, and I will allow you to unmute yourself and I will spotlight you. Or if you're joining us by LinkedIn Live, you can place your question into the comment section and we will bring that over into this environment. Um, but I want to go back to something you said that was really important that I don't want this audience to miss. You said that because you've been using the word voice several times throughout our conversation. And voice is not just our words. It's not just the verbal. You said that it's it's 70, it's seven percent of the words, but it's 93 percent of the presence. And so I want you to expound upon that just a little bit further while folks are thinking about maybe some of their questions, because I think that's a really important takeaway that we need to make sure people are clearly understanding around this broader topic. Yes, our presence. So the 93% is actually where we can sabotage our 7%, right? Because we can be saying one thing, but, but, but how we um, show up, again, our presence. Have you ever been sitting in a room and someone walked in and they didn't say anything, Dr. Nika, but by the way that they came in the room, yeah. you heard in the back of your head, Wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. How they came in the room. So we are always speaking, even when there are no words, we are always speaking. Um, we are always saying something. So we, we have to be aware of what our very presence says to someone, uh, wow. the energy that we bring. Um, how we even communicate um, through our bodies and our body language. There is so much to be said about that, right? And so yeah. that 93% is so very crucial, not just our words. Sometimes when we think about voice, we're thinking about our tone, you know, and the words right. we use and how we say things. Of course, that's huge. But I really want to point us to... Um, this sense of presence, and especially yeah. for those of us who have seats at tables where yeah. our 
presence is so important and how we show up, how we come into those rooms, what we do while we're at the table. Um, I often say if we have seats at tables and we are unaware of our voice power, we can't complain when we become the meal. Absolutely. Yes. I have a dear friend that says, if you're not at the table, then guess what? You know, you're on the menu, right? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So being so fully aware, I try to be very fully aware of how I come into spaces, what I'm doing while I'm in the space, how I want the space to, to feel after I've left it, how I want people to feel after I have been in their presence, that's very important to me. So wow. for us to be very mindful of that powerful 93% that we embody is a critical piece of voice positioning. Yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And as you are sharing that, what came to mind for me, because of course, just, you know, a week ago, we were all acknowledging the anniversary of George Floyd's murder, where there was one city where the protests were still happening, of course, after the murder. And there were a group of, of white citizens who took to the front of the line and they kind of joined arms and hands to say, we stand with our, you know, black and brown brothers and sisters, and we're not going to necessarily be shielded behind we're going to be at the front of the line so that, you know, all of you who are who are perceived that this group of people are here to do harm. No, we're here for a peaceful protest. And I thought that was such a powerful way of presence that gave voice to something that I think was really a reminder that humanity is, can still be found in, in certain places. And so, okay, I see and that. I, Takiya, think, uh, I have to point this out too. It goes back to, to something you said um, in your amazing book. Let me just kind of throw that in there in, in your amazing book. But you talk about um, what it means to be an ally. And that's what I thought about as you were sharing um, what it means to be an ally. And you, and you clearly say to be able to do that, you must understand systems of oppression. And yes. being an ally is a powerful way to, to, to use your 7%, but also in that instance, your 93%, right? Just that visible presence of being an ally that says, mm -hmm. listen, you know, we're going to, to intervene, disrupt yeah. these systems of oppression just by our presence, right? Yeah. Um, when when um, everything happened with George, George Floyd, I had several of my white friends and colleagues reach out to say to me, you know, what can we do? You know, what should we be saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, my direction for them, because I was so heartbroken during that time yeah. of grieving, yes. you know, one of the things that I said to them to not reach out to people who look like me, but to have mm -hmm. conversations around your tables right? Mm -hmm. um, to have mm -hmm. conversations behind your closed doors, right. to really consider what this means. And if you have the heart to act, right? Yeah, Do you absolutely. have the heart to care about cause and effect, how you want to use your power for good, right? So just that those are powerful instances of voice. And, and the choice and the choices we make in terms of how we show up for ourselves, but also for each other. Absolutely. This is so rich. Okay, Takia, I'm going to let you present your question. And this is how we're going to close out. You present your question and then we'll let Dr. K to respond. Go for it. Hi, Dr. K. Such a powerful conversation today. My question for you, I am currently trying to understand my presence and find my voice, and I struggle with determining obligation. So can you give some advice on how you determine what is your obligation? I think sometimes I make myself obligated to things that I should not. Oh, that is so good, Takia. That is a good question. so much for... Um, for your question. So here is how I will respond to that. You know, obligation is a have to when I feel like I have to, right? Um, understanding whether or not something is an obligation is being able to step back instead of looking at I have to and asking ourselves, 
can I find the honor in this? Mm. Mm. Can I find the honor, mm. right? And if I can't find honor in it, if there is nothing in me that can connect to it and find honor in it, it is probably not something for me, right? Because my yes should always be connected to not I have to, it should be connected to I get to, right? And when I can bring I get to to it, that is where honor is, right? So always examine where honor shows up. So before your yes, always asking yourself the question, can I find honor in this, right? Mm. I hope that's helpful. If not helpful for Takia, which I'm sure it is, it was definitely helpful for me when I saw where Takia kind of acknowledged into the chat that she loved your response to that uh gosh that was so rich so so rich i had to type it down and put it in my notes thank you so much <laughs> that is so great thanks for being here tikia thanks for your question so we are out of time but dr k i want to give you the final like 60 seconds for you to close us out in whatever way that feels appropriate to you if there's something that you've been holding that you have a lot of power and energy for that you want to um, express and socialize to this community i want to give you that chance to do so i also want to thank you for being here today and sharing with us Thank you, Dr. Nika. It has been an honor, um, certainly, to be here. Dr. Nika, you are one of those people who can call me or reach out at any time, and my answer will be yes, <laughs> because I will always find honor um, in, in what you do and, and the ways in which you do it. But for this community, and as we wrap our time together, I really want to encourage every person um, that joined us and, and will join us in the replay is to think about at all times the power of your voice, what it means to you to be seen, to be heard, and to be valued. You know, we were never created for exclusion. There is research that even shows that our brains are not wired for exclusion. Our brains are actually social organs. And so we need each other, um, but we also need each other um, it, to, to connect individually, but also connect our voices together mm -hmm. for the greater good, for a sense of collaborative movement forward. And so, uh, Mother Teresa has a quote that I love. We do no great things, only small things with great love. So this work, mm -hmm. our effort is not about running out and doing these big, these great big things, but it is being so present in the moments that we have um, and, and embracing those moments with great love that we feel those moments with great power. And that is what moves us forward. Nothing else left to say. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Everyone enjoy your weekend. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye-bye.